the text. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active. That'll preach. As I looked around for a couple of significant messages uh, from the seminary the past year or so, the first I came upon was the theme for the just-finished academic year, which was living and active connections and conversations. And then the other word, and a few around it, is the word generations. The whole statement is the promises of Christ for all generations, the campaign for Concordia Seminary. And as I've listened and read, yes, the seminary is grateful for all the past faithful generations but at the same time, there is great concern for this present generation and ones to come as culture, society changes, and the church desires to bring the gospel to that location. As I thought about the unique nature of this particular gathering, it occurred to me that we represent many generations of service. Some are actually older than the 50-year, I don't want to use the word dotards, uh, and I assume um, wiser. And some are younger than our generation who have much to share with us. I also listened to the conversation on uh, the internet of our class uh, with many different uh, seminary and church experiences, sometimes in the midst of church and denominational conflicts uh, that have characterized our generation. And so with all of that, and confident that God wants us to trust the new leaders and the new generations with his living and active word without trying to control them, the text or the theme for today is living and active across all generations. I'm going to uh, briefly cover context of Hebrews and text with a question for each one. Context, the question, how has your life and ministry over the years been impacted by passing generations? My goodness, and this is just a brush stroke, wouldn't the letter to the Hebrews be all about generations? Do you realize how many of the stories of the peoples of God are included in there? And this is not inclusive, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, a little bit on Joshua, the judges and the prophets. And in the more immediate context of these first few verses, 
A lot of time is spent on the people of God during the wilderness wanderings. And in that context, you have both warnings and encouragements. Hardness of heart, rebellion, disobedience. And on the other hand, God, who in many and various ways has spoken of old through the prophets in these last days, has spoken to us through his Son, who is identified as, among other things, as the great high priest, who was in every way one of us except without sin, whose sacrifice once for all paid for the sins of the world, who even now intercedes before us and will come again. So with that very spare context, I think we have the right to consider how have our lives and ministries been shaped by seminary and church experiences. I can think of no better way to consider that than to look at, oh, and this chapel is somewhat different, but the Tudor Gothic campus where we gather with its soaring Luther Tower and at least class of 66. We know the campus started in 1926 and we were not there, but the Luther Tower was dedicated in early May 1966. My wife remembers snowflakes falling and certainly remembers being pregnant with our firstborn, Mark. But guess what? About 15 years ago, I was privileged to serve as the commencement speaker here at the seminary when the seminary was celebrating the 75th anniversary of the Clayton campus. And I said then, my mother was there. Age 21, she traveled by special train from Indianapolis to the June 13th dedication with some, quote, senior Walther Leaguers. She would have heard but probably not understood Peeper's address in Latin, but she would have heard and perhaps uh, responded to the English address by a promising young pastor from Texas named John W. Benkin. At a time of tremendous unity in the church, 75,000 to 100,000 people were there. Um, I would say to you, that what goes around comes around. In 1962, when my dad and mom brought me to this campus to begin studies here, we were welcomed by Professor Lawrence Wunderlich and his dear wife, Mildred. They were longtime friends of my parents from the Indianapolis days. And one afternoon, I think before classes started, Professor Wunderlich invited me over to his study in his campus house, and there for about two or three hours, I sat there in the presence of the recently retired president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, John W. Bankin, who was a cousin of Wunderlich's, I think. As we came, our class, from the very stimulating environment of Concordia Senior College with its liberal arts environment, 
um, we were looking to receive seminary education. And very early, we discovered that there were at least two generations of theological professors, some representing the conversation in Wunderlich's uh, study, and others younger but not strictly chronological in age, who were looking to a more serious historical study of the scriptures and how to deal with the shifting tides of a culture of the 60s. I thank God for being at the seminary during those years to form and shape my pastoral ministry. I will confess that there were times when I thought I knew more than I did. But God had a humorous way of humbling me. Because of one education class, I was sent as a student teacher to Emil Haney's fourth grade class at Concordia Kirkwood. He was a good man and an excellent teacher. Graciously, he helped me struggle through the curriculum and trying to connect with that group. I conclude that I definitely was not smarter than a fourth grader, let alone a fifth grader. And then Ken Breimeyer sent us out, some of us, to visit residents at the state hospital, psychiatric facility. I remember being bewildered as I visited with a woman whose face was totally non-expressive and who asked, do you know what my most comforting Bible verse is? Answer, thou shalt not commit adultery. Immediately, I was brought back to ground zero on the proper distinction between law and gospel and aware of how woefully inadequate I was to understand the depths of the human personality. And then Floyd Shainholtz, uh, uh, Ken Greinke, Cliff Winter, and I were assigned for field work to the all-black congregation in Alton, Illinois, Berea, where we had a very significant cultural experience weekly. It was pastored by Herb Schultze, the son of Andrew Schultze of Lutheran Human Relations fame. But we were really shocked when during our time there, the congregation voted to dissolve itself and integrate with the all-white congregation Trinity a few blocks away without informing them of their intent. What next? All I'm trying to do is to get you thinking about different generations of experience from theology and from life and how God was working through that. Which brings me then to the second question based on the text. And I'll do the question first. How has the living and active Word of God pierced to the thoughts and intentions of your hearts during 
your ministry. I have to do something very non-exegetical at this point. The words living and active jump out at me. And I ask myself, in what ways am I living and active at age 75? I know what it doesn't mean. I am no longer at home on the seminary tennis courts where Bruce Rudolph and I spent so many hours during seminary years under the coaching of Ted Drew Sr. About 10 or 12 years ago, I was warming up for some doubles on those, quote, home courts, went for a ball to my right that used to be routine, found myself flying through the air, landing flat on my face, ripping up my knee and bruising or cracking some ribs. Somehow, I managed to get up with a little help from President Kaltoff and some braces and played two sets, but that was it. In fact, more accurately, I believe, physically alive and active at my age would be the single word which my good friend and mentor, Walt Shadle, gives when asked, how are you? Vertical. And then a brief pause, and he adds, and blessed. My heart is heavy right now because of the struggle that my good friend and former pastor Vern Gunderman is going through with Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. The first thing to go for him was his ability to speak, and that was one of his greatest gifts. He was once a very talented athlete even uh, on the radar of the Chicago White Sox as a pitcher. And right now, when with a little help, he is able to be vertical, it's a miracle. But his dot, 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 or pause has been coming to us through almost weekly posts on a website, Lots of Help, and repeatedly, he starts with the words, life is good, life is changing, life is good. Then he always gives an honest assessment of the medical situation and his physical condition, ending with some devotional thoughts. Well, at our age, alive and active, we need to think physically, mentally, some problems there, by the way, emotionally and spiritually, and the answer is varied, but we are blessed. Now, let's get to the text. You know and I know that living and active modifies the Word of God, not us, in the secondary sense, maybe. So, the Word of God, halagos to theu, is living and active. Living, vibrant, life-giving, active, energetic, literally, and if we must be theological, efficacious. The Word of God is living and active. I want you to think about the fact that this Word of God 
really is both warnings and encouragement. In the text itself, and I'll just read it again, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Uh, there's a lot of warning in there. Hard-hearted, um, rebellious, disobedient, kind of describes my typical day, but also encouragement. Encouragement. Again, in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, our great high priest, who's one of us, yet without sin, paid the price, and so forth. Now I'm going to try again just to say a few personal things, but you do it for yourself about the living and active Word of God. Uh, the living and active Word of God uh, touched my heart on occasion when Martin Franzman had chapel. He was not an inspiring speaker. He read every word. But every word was carefully crafted to bring the freshness of the Scripture in its law and gospel implications. Also privileged was I to sit in his Ephesians class and later a graduate course on the posture of the interpreter. The living and active Word of God came to me one summer when I took um, a course on the Gospel of Mark with Herb Mayer. Our small group of students were led to grapple with the Greek for the whole book. We lived and breathed and slept Mark. Didn't have any other courses. That was transformative. The urgency, the lean narrative, the clear focus on the Messiah, the suffering servant. And would you believe, generations, last November, at, in Atlanta at the LCF con uh, conference, I got to hear some current faculty members and area pastors, of which Professor Burrison was one, speak word for word the whole Gospel of Mark with sensitivity and passion, inspired by Jim Veltz's fresh translation in his commentary on Mark. And again, I was touched. But you know what? Those are great examples, but so often the living and active Word of God has come to me through people over the years. I'm thinking, of Pavel Uharsky, at that time the Lutheran bishop of the Church of the Augsburg Confession in Slovakia. Because of his clear gospel teaching with young people, he had been imprisoned by the Soviets, and after being released, had to work as a common laborer his entire life with no chance for pastoral ministry until at age 70, he was lifted up by that church as the bishop. It was the integrity and authenticity of his person and his life and his prayer and his steadfastness that the living and active Word of God spoke to me. Then I'm thinking of a young pastor named Pastor Bao in Nanjing, who was actually responsible for all of the printing of Chinese Bibles 
in the whole country. The warmth of his faith and the brotherhood that I felt, and I was touched when he spoke about his father boldly confessing Jesus on trains during the Cultural Revolution. But you know, it's not about past stories. Right now, we have in our house for the past two and a half weeks, a relatively young man whom we call Eddie, Edmond is his full name, happens to be a Palestinian born in Bethlehem of Greek Orthodox faith, a vibrant one, who as a teenager got caught up in the conflicts with Hamas and the Israeli troops in the 1980s, saw two of his teenage friends killed before his eyes, one by a gun and the other by a stone dropped on his head. With the help of his father, he was able to leave the country, go first to Australia, then to Las Vegas, and then to St. Louis, because he heard the Pope was coming to visit John Paul II, and St. Louis has a saint in the name. But now, as he works in his daily vocation, he is vibrant in his faith and his desire to live out the gospel life. That's the living and active Word of God. The best way I know to do anything more with the text is just quote some scripture that relates. And God said, let there be, and there was. Think Aaron's chapel address. Isaiah, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth, etc., etc., so shall my word be that cometh forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall prosper or fulfill the purpose for which I sent it. And who can forget these words from John? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him is life, and that life is the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Might as well throw in Peter, all flesh is grass, and so forth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the good news which is proclaimed to you. With a context and a question, and a text and a question, my, I guess you'd call this the conclusion, my heart has been overflowing with the words, a chorus from Bach's Peerless Cantata, or not Cantata, the Magnificat, and the words, omnes, omnes, generationes, repeated. And of course, it's a gospel note about the word, he who is mighty has done to me great things, and holy is his name, that all generations will call me blessed, the Christ child growing within him. And I can't ignore, and I think we're going to sing it, and we didn't plan this, uh, Martin Franzman's signature hymn, Thy strong word did cleave the darkness. And how could I do better 
than Martin Luther's Battle Hymn of the Reformation as we approach the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Last verse, the word they still shall let remain, nor any thanks have for it. He's by our side upon the plain with his good gifts and spirit. And take they our life, old version, goods, fame, child, and wife. Let these all be gone. They yet have nothing won. The kingdom ours remaineth. So enjoy your connections and conversations as classmates around the living and active Word of God across all generations. Amen.